0: Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for April 19. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. In a column in the Illustrated London News in December 1905, G.K. Chesterton commented, the opponents of Christianity would believe anything except Christianity. In a recent article, Faith and Culture, in the Journal of the Augustine Institute, Dale Alquist points out that Chesterton's comment is often misquoted. Alquist notes two other misquoted Chesterton observations. The correct version of one being, in real life, people who are most bigoted are the people who have no convictions at all. And the other one being, bigotry may be roughly defined as the anger of men and women who have no opinions. Alquist explains, it is the people for whom tolerance is the supreme virtue who are in fact the most intolerant. Developing Chesterton's point, Alquist comments, the world generally associates religious fanaticism with intolerance and fanatics generally are intolerant. But they are also the exception. Most believers are not fanatics. They are well-balanced, reasonable, normal people. The problem is that in an unbelieving world, any religious belief at all is regarded as fanaticism. The intolerance, or as Chesterton called it, the bigotry, is on the part of those who don't believe anything. How then are people of faith to live in a world of change? In this Easter season, it's helpful to reflect on the significance of Jesus' resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, we read,
1: As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high.
0: Jesus himself stood amongst the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and terrified, thinking it was a ghost. Before the disciples had joined Jesus' company three years earlier, some were fishermen, others men of business and tax collectors. When the risen Jesus now stood before them, they were startled and terrified at what they saw. Aware of their fears and doubts, Jesus addressed one issue at a time. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, he said. He then asked for food. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus' physical resurrection is foundational to the Christian faith. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, we read that Jesus opened the disciples' minds to understand the Scriptures. Because Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship, not a myth, but a body of truth, we grasp it first with our minds sure we may experience an emotional satisfaction or even a dream when we first encounter christ but real understanding comes with our minds this explains jesus purpose here speaking of god's cosmic plan he showed the disciples how the scriptures pointed to a messiah who would suffer death and then be resurrection to life on the third day these things had to happen he said. The death and resurrection of Jesus is not the story of a dead man who came back to life, neither is it the story of a dying and rising God, nor is it a romantic story that tells us that death is not the end. It's the story of Messiah's shameful death by crucifixion, suffering the pains of God-forsakenness on behalf of men and women who have broken God's perfect law. Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection are tightly linked to the forgiveness of sins. Without His death, Jesus' resurrection has no significance for fallen men and women. For unless sin has first been dealt with, resurrection cannot point to forgiveness and new life. In this way, the resurrection is now a glorious message because it has made sense of Jesus' death. And there's more. In his words to the disciples, Jesus set out the next stage in God's cosmic plan. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The words in his name are significant. They tie together repentance and forgiveness of sins with who Jesus is and all that he's done. Repentance translates a Greek word, metanoia. Noia is a form of the Greek word from which we get our English word, nous, which means mind or intellect. Metanoia conveys the ideas of changing one's mind and lifestyle, or, better here, docking or bringing one's mind and heart alongside the mind and heart of God. Unless there is this change of mind and heart towards Jesus Christ, reflected in our attitude and lifestyle, there is no forgiveness. From its inception, Christianity has had a global vision. For these wonderful truths are not just for the Jewish people, they are for all the nations, for all peoples. And significantly, the Christian faith, which is grounded in relationship, is not a blind faith, a leap in the dark. Its first proponents were eyewitnesses of Jesus, the Son of God, and of what He has done. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus said. And notice, there are more than one or two witnesses. There were twelve. For Matthias, who had also been with Jesus from the time of his baptism, was included Following Judas' betrayal. Following this extraordinary scene in Luke chapter 24, it's a wonder the disciples didn't immediately do what the two on the Emmaus Road had done when they met Jesus, namely, start spreading the news. Rather, Jesus had told them to wait and see I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus well knew that even men who had personally been with him for some three years, who had now seen him risen from the dead, and who had heard him tell of God's great master plan, did not have the inner resources to go out and tell the nations of God's good news. They needed the Holy Spirit to clothe them, enrich and empower them, with the necessary gifts, really knowing the truth, having clarity of thought and speech, wisdom and inner strength to speak out in the face of the fiercest opposition that would arise from a disbelieving world. They needed, as we do today, real power that can only come from the Spirit of God. Well, more about this next Wednesday. So let me pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us, both a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly living. Give us grace so that we may always thankfully receive the immeasurable benefit of his sacrifice and also daily endeavor to follow in the blessed steps of his most holy life, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, for evermore. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church Presbyterian San Francisco. The prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978. The opening and closing music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.